You're listening to Around Comics, episode 90. Comics, a roundtable discussing topics in and around the world of comics. I'm your host, Christopher Neesman, and I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Mr. Brian Salazar. Hey! All right, it's stripped down, <laughs> the lights are dim, it's just the two of us. Uh, it's kind of romantic, I'm not Sal. stripped down. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't know what kind of weird Gilmore Girls kind of shit you're trying to pull, buddy, but... Uh, Talking about Gilmore Girls like that? Sorry. There's well, two types of... Anyway. It's late, late on a Friday night here in Chicago, yeah. and we're going to bring part two of our really, Richard. really neat talk with uh, neat. Richard... Neat? Did you ever see... Um, what was that Madonna documentary? Was that the guy... Oh, uh, no, no, it was oh, well oh, before oh, that. Oh, it was uh, black and white. It oh, was, gosh. Anyway, it you're one, killing me. No, it just oh. reminded me. At one point, she uh, she's doing her show, and, and then afterwards, and she's behind... Uh, in the in the dressing room, and and Kevin Costner comes in and said something about how it was neat, and <laughs> and then I just remember them laughing at him, like who who says neat, you know what kind of Kevin Costner nerd says, says neat. neat, but anyway, what was that's it? all I just you, thought about you're, that. You're killing. It doesn't me. matter. Who cares? Let's get on with it. <laughs> Well, this is uh, part two of our discussion with uh, Richard Starkings. Uh, we we meant to keep this to one episode, but uh, didn't realize that he had too much to say. The guy is he's he's a very very interesting gentleman, and uh, and it was all good. So we want to uh, give you all of that and bring it uh, to you in a second episode. But before we get to part two of our discussion, I want to let everyone know that this episode of Around Comics is sponsored by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades.com would like to welcome Richard Starkings to the show and let all our listeners know that they have both of the critically acclaimed Hip Flask hardcover editions discounted by 35%. You can now follow the Eisner Award-winning adventures of futuristic detective Hip Flask and the Elephant Men for just $19.47 per volume. Remember that InStockTrades.com is your source for trade paperbacks, deluxe hardcovers, essentials, showcases, archives, absolute editions, omnibus editions, and more. All at great discounted prices. And all orders over $50 ship free. And you will hear all about those two volumes of Hip Flask in the upcoming discussion. Uh, a couple days ago we talked more about uh, Richard's beginnings in the UK. Mm-hmm. and Marvel UK o- yeah. mm-hmm. and 2000 AD, Future Shock. And sure, and then coming over to the States and getting Sitting in the pub off. with Warren Ellis <laughs> and Alan Moore and David whatever. When he was talking about that we were Alan both kind of like, oh my God, can you believe that? It was like it was 
Liverpool and you know <laughs> I don't know it's yeah, crazy it's it's kind of un, it's kind of bizarre but I'm sure even he kind of looks back at it with uh, wow amazement to sure. some degree absolutely um, but this episode yes yes this episode is going to move into kind of what he's been doing in the last few years which is of uh, course uh, on top of Comic Craft Hip Flask and the Elephant Man uh, before we get to that one will everyone know that around comics was recorded every Friday at seven o'clock at Dark Tower Comics and Collectibles it's located at forty eight thirty five. Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. If you're in the area, please drop by. We would love to meet you. All right, let's uh, let's get on to part two of Richard Starkings. Here he is. Can you tell us how Hip Class kind of came out I guess of Comic Craft? Quite well, because um, I approached Jim Lee to license the Wildcats characters to promote the font we created for Wildcats Adventures. Um, it's a font called Wild Words, which is still one of our better-selling fonts. Um, and, um, of course, he passed me on to the business department end of Wildstorm, who wanted some money out of that, you know. <laughs> um, I was still uh, mistaking the comic book industry for sort of friendly camaraderie that had always attracted me to the business. Sure, you weren't you weren't that far from, you know, the pub with all the yeah, all the exactly, guys. Yeah, exactly. I mean and, and there's still a lot of that today. I still work with people in a in a very sort of uh enthusiastic creative atmosphere. But a lot of the image studios really turned it into more of a business than you might have expected artists to do. Um so I, I then turned to Marvel and said, why don't we do an X-Men comic with no lettering in it, but we give them a script and a font, and we, we package that as the X-Men font. And Bob Harris and Ben Rabb at the time were very enthusiastic about that, but they passed me on to the business people and nothing happened. So I figured, to hell with them, I'll create my own character. So I thought briefly about using my character Hedge backwards, uh, but Hedge Backwards was basically an autobiographical comic strip and didn't really lend itself to promoting fonts. So I thought, well, what I need is an action hero. I need a character that, you know, shoots a gun, gets thrown out into the air in explosions, and I can illustrate those adventures with the fonts. I can, I can create a page of comic strip, a faux page of comic strip, about this character that doesn't really have his own comic book series, but will help us promote the font. So I had a secondary character in Hedge Backwards, a newspaper reporter, uh, no, not a newspaper reporter, a private investigator that um, I had picked the name Hip Flask, because I always like those names that's, that are actually some object in the real world, like Hip Flask or Vanity Case or Hedge Backwards. Um, <laughs> That goes back to the Asterix comic strips where they used to have Roman soldiers with names like various Flavius. <laughs> so I, I came up with this name, Hip Flask, and thought, well, yeah, that's a good I'll have, an, I'll have a private investigator. And my wife said, well, what's special if anybody can have a private investigator? And I said, he's a hippo because of the word hip. So thus was born the character of Hip Flask. And I later had to change his PI identity because, believe it or not, there is a comic book character in Australia who's a hip 
hippo private eye. The, wow. inf- the infamous hair butt. Hairbutt the hippo. Yeah. More of an underground Robert Crumb-esque character, but they, um, they, uh, they were very upset with me. I was um, going to say, whenever, whenever you found, about, found out about that, you were like, what, what the hell? How did that happen? Yeah. It, it was very strange. It, you know, it, it's still really uh, out there in the shadows. I'm sure if we ever get any kind of movie deal with Elephant Men, um, I'll hear from them again. Um, but um, I think if you read Hip Flask and you read Herbert the Hippo, you can see that they're com- conceived completely differently. Um, so I proceeded with Hip Flask. I put him in ads in the Acclaim comics. I got a T-shirt image from Brian Bolland. Uh, my friend Ian Church, who I'd got to know on Heroes Reborn, on the, uh, I think it was on the Avengers title. He's from England, we got along fine, he did a poster image for me. And, um, and it's, uh, uh, naturally, you start thinking, well, what kind of stories would this character be in? And ultimately I decided, well, he wouldn't be a character that carried a gun. Um, Ian told me that the other characters would all be African animals. Uh, so I thought, oh, that's a good idea. I'll just make them African animals. And um, every time I had a... Somebody wanted a font or somebody wanted something from me, Mike Waringa wanted a font. So we made a Mike Waringa font, and he did me a hip flask pinup. And Brian Talbot did me a hip flask pinup, and Jay Lee did me a hip flask pinup, and Stephen Platt. And before I knew it, I had all these images that were unconnected, and I decided that um, I wanted to do something more for this character. And I was thinking more specifically about the parameters that the character would have. And also, um, many years ago, when I was working with Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale on Dark Victory, Batman Dark Victory, I was saying, you guys should do your creator-owned book. You should do a creator-owned book. It would be great. You should do something for Image, for Epic, whatever it is. Um, and they, they used to smile at me and pat me on the head and say, great idea, Rich. There's no money in it. <laughs> and I used to get incredibly frustrated. And uh, it so happened my sister-in-law, who was uh, my business partner at the time, and her husband got tickets for an Anthony Robbins seminar. Have you heard of Anthony Robbins? No. You must have seen the personal power infomercials at one o'clock in the morning. He's oh, oh, sure, Anthony. Yeah, okay. Oh, Ed, oh, yeah, Tony Robbins, absolutely. Tony yeah. Robbins from... Um, you too can be... Um, oh, yeah, Shallow, Shallow Hell. Hell. Shallow Hell, yeah, yeah. That's right. Everything you need to know about Anthony Robbins is in Shallow Hell. <laughs> anyway, I went to the seminar, and basically the message I got out of it, it was, it was, it was one of those things where it was very inspiring, but it was really aimed at um, salespeople in order to go out and sales and make that sale. But the thing that struck me most was, whatever it is you want to do, you should do it. And I sort of came away thinking that. I keep telling Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale to do their own series. I should do my own series. And as luck would have it at the time, the drone was drawing a pinup for me uh, for my birthday, actually. I'd been working with him on cable got to know him through Joe Casey. He lived uh, just near San Diego in um, Chula Vista. So I drove down to see him, and he said, oh, I'd love to do you a pin-up. And he did a great pin-up for me of the characters. 
And I called him when I got home from that seminar and said, uh, Jose, would you, would you be interested in doing a mini-series based on her flask? He said, I would love to. I didn't believe him. But as luck would have it, he was fired from the Newman's miniseries about a month or two later, probably six months later, I'm probably compressing the time. And he, he said to me, let's do the Hip Flask series now. So uh, I got him a plot, actually. we The way we started working was kind of peculiar because he wanted to do a lot of production drawings and he spent two or three months doing production drawings a couple of the paintings that you're probably familiar with, hip walking down the alley, vanity, eating sushi. Um, <laughs> and suddenly I realized that the work that I was getting from him was phenomenal, <laughs> is the only word. He, he's a fairly um, talented bloke, isn't he? Well, ha having got to know him, he didn't really want to draw comics. He wanted to paint him. Um, I would say that he wanted to be both and is struggling to be both. Um, and I happened to give him the opportunity to not only pencil and ink his work, but to paint it. And the only thing he had painted previously was a Thor story in Thor 2000 annual. And um, it was 12 pages of beautifully painted uh, one and two panel pages. And I figured, well, that was the key to work with the drone, was one, two, three panel pages, double page splashes. So in the course of working with them on an ash cam, which was supposed to be three pages, it became the plastic and natural selection, which I think is 31 pages long, <laughs> uh, which is very typical when you're working with the drone. Um, everything he creates, he approaches with a great deal of passion. In, in fact, there are a lot of drawings you haven't seen from his Hulk covers. He did some concept sketches, some ideas that were rejected. He did a lot of pencil drawings for his Conan covers. He did three Conan covers, and he, he did some character sketches of Conan, some character sketches of um, the Elephant God. And he really uh, takes all the work he does very seriously and, and really creates a world around the characters you present him with. So he was, for me, the ideal collaborator. Um, we are both uh, fans of Mobius. We're both fans of Blade Runner, Ghost in the Shell. A lot of our influences are very obvious. Alien, you know, clearly Ridley Scott. Um, and, and I was able to give him the kind of work he was looking to draw. And again, you know, ironically, the, the book that led to me getting a w work permit in America, the Incal, Jose has, has recently been finishing Incal Final, the third book in the Incal trilogy. So, you know, he's been able to transcend the sort of Kirby Mobius uh, persona that he, he adopted and able to be able to work in the American industry and has created something incredibly unique. He, he won the Eisner Award for the third issue of Hip Flask, Mystery City. You know, it's, 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 it's been an absolute pleasure to be involved with him at that level. Of course, as you probably all know, I have to wait an awful long time. Hello, this is Steve Niles, and you are listening to Around Comics. I was going to ask you, how, how is he doing on, on the latest issue? Any idea? Well, he's finishing Incal with Joe Pocky. 
and then he's going to do issues four and five back to back. So back to back probably means 2008, 2009, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because he's still he, he's a lot faster actually. And and the, if you look at how many covers he's done in the last year, it's probably about 30 covers. Okay. Well, sure, those uh, those Planet Hulk and that covers. That means he's much faster than he used to be. And of course, he's been doing covers for the Allison Men. Mm-hmm. So he's still involved in the world of Hip Flask. But I basically decided to launch Elephant Man because I had so many stories backed up um, waiting for the end of the sort of key Hip Flask storyline. I decided to do a prequel to Hip Flask because I can't do a sequel because then you'll know how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I was going to ask you why, why did you make it a prequel, but that makes complete sense. Well, uh, well you know, are you familiar with how Mystery City ends? Uh, no, I've only read the second... See, I was going to ask you this, too, because I was I had not read Hip Flask before. I didn't get turned on to the world of Elephant Men until the Elephant Men series right. came out. I had never really read it, and I started reading that, and so I said, oh, well, I really wanted to go back and read you know, the Hip Flask stuff. But some, I, I was a bit confused by the different releases of the book, and I bought the second hardcover, not knowing that there right. was a first mm-hmm. hardcover... So you've, you've bought Concrete Jungle? Yes. Yes. Have you read Concrete Jungle? Yes, and I loved it. It is wonderful. Well, Concrete Jungle includes Mystery City, which is issue three of Hip Flask. Mm-hmm. Right. Concrete Jungle collects issues two and three, and it ends on a cliffhanger. Absolutely. A big cliffhanger. Sure. <laughs> um, and what happens in the next issue changes everything in the storyline. And that script has been written, I wrote it two years ago, and Jose's drawn four pages of a 33-page <laughs> book, so there's a lot to happen. In fact, uh, when you see what happens in issues four and five, which is inc- monumental story developments, and <laughs> you are such dying. a tease. You are such a tease. <laughs> Could you just email me the script so I don't have to wait so long? To You'll have to wait. <laughs> um, so it, it was really impossible for me to do a sequel, but. I actually had grown to like a lot of the characters that I kill off, so it was a great opportunity to give them a lot of backstory. Sure. Most of which Ladrone and I had already worked out. We dis- we discussed the characters a lot before we put them on the paper. Um, so you're finding out a lot more about Horn and Sahara. Uh, we haven't even got to introducing Vanity Case yet. Um, you get to learn about Mickey the cab driver, you get to learn about Serengeti in issue 11, you get to know more about Nikin in issue 11, uh, you'll get to learn um, a lot more about uh, Kazbar Joe and the Silencer, um, and these are all key characters in um, uh, the Hip Flash storyline, but they have their own storyline, so it's like being able to write a novel. Um, giving each of these characters a backstory uh, so that when you get to the end of the prequel, which will be about issue 36, I think, um, when you, if you then read the hit last story after 36 issues of Elephant Man, it'll have 10 times the impact. And we're also doing a little sort of mini-series within the Elephant Man series. We're doing a, a book called Elephant Men War Toys in between issues 11 and 12, we're doing a two-issue series, which will tell the story of the war that the Elephant Men were involved in. Oh, cool. 
cool. Uh, wow. Mostly because I don't want to do everything in flashback. Mm-hmm. I'd like to do some war stories that are set in that period. Are we going to learn at all about uh, the Mapo Corporation? And uh, you will learn about the Mapo Corporation. Nice. Okay. You'll learn about the country that financed them. That was. You'll learn who they were at war with and what horrible things happened in Europe. Okay. For those that are unindoctrinated into the hip flask world, wh- where is the best place to start reading Elephant about? Elephant Man issue one. Okay. I would say. Okay. Start with one and keep going. All right. Um, now, now, the two hardcover editions yes. that are out, where do those fit in into the, the timeline? Those are those after. Those are two years after Elephant Man issue okay. one. That's the hip flask storyline. Mm-hmm. That will be wrapped up in issues four and five of Hip Flask, or volume three, if you prefer the hardcovers. Okay. Which the hardcovers, you know, I, I want to commend you guys on the hardcovers because they were, and, and Sal had actually mentioned it when he reviewed uh, the book a, a few months ago or a few weeks ago, that the the quality of those hardcovers it was, it was are unbelievable. Of, it was one of the nicest hardcover editions of a comic that I had ever uh, purchased. It was Thank a, you. absolutely fantastic quality, and I've read it. Since it came out, I've read it three times. Uh, just gone back, and I, I can't get enough of the uh, the artwork, Land, Landron stuff, uh, or is it Ladrone? Ladrone, I'm Ladrone. sorry. Ladrone's artwork. It, it means the thief in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Ladrone's artwork blown up uh, in that oversized uh, edition is just amazing. And, and well, the thing to remember is that it wasn't blown up. For the hardcover edition, it was shrunk down, right? Uh, yeah. Edited for the American edition because we designed it as a European style hardcover from day one. Wow! And the uh, drone's art paper is created so that it has. Uh, he knows to put all the relevant story artwork in the American format on the paper, but he he's, he knows he also has an inch on either side. Uh, to create this sort of panoramic quality. Mm-hmm. It, it is a very widescreen feeling book. Yeah, and when you see it widescreen, you, you don't want to see it in the American format anymore because you can see that it's it's like the difference between seeing a movie at the theater and then watching it full screen or on network TV when you get home. Yeah. But it's a different experience. And there are some comics that should be read in American format and some that should be seen in, in hardcover. So... Basically, the hip flask issues, and one of the reasons it is confusing is we did not number them because I knew that it would come out um, after long intervals. I knew that we wouldn't be able to put one out every month. So we gave them names rather than numbers. And, uh, and, and, and that, each story they, does have a very self-contained feel to it. So you can really pick up any of the single issues and feel like you have experienced that story, which is nice. Yeah, I, I designed each of them, especially um, Unnatural Selection and Elephant Men, are designed so that you can read them without having read the previous issue. The same is true of Mystery City, but Mystery City ends on more of a cliffhanger, I think. Yes, uh, certainly. Well, you, you know, the the other thing I was going to mention is that, uh, and I know from reading um, some other interviews with you and preview information, uh, you're going to have a host of talented people working on Elephant Men in the future here, and and you already have had in in in, in either backup stories or or on on different parts of of the book. 
Um, what, is, what do you think it is about Hip Flask and the Elephant Man universe that seems to attract so many talented people that, that, that you know, that uh, obviously you have a long history of of knowing these people, but there seems to be something about this book that it almost, you know, pulls people into it that, that want to work on it. Well, I, I think it does bring out the best in people. I think Henry Flint's story was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Henry Flint is an artist that's worked. He did Dread Aliens for Dark Horse slash Fleetway, uh, Rebellion. And um, I think what it is is that I my palette is so broad because I grew up in England, because I was exposed to a lot of European material, then I came to America and, and have learned to appreciate different talents in America. I think that I'm open to working with people in different ways. And when I worked with Chris Pacello on Witching Hour and Steampunk, I could see the direction in which Chris liked to go when he's not restrained by the monthly grind of working on Captain America or X-Men. Mm-hmm. He, he has... I, I think he would be a great children's illustrator. So when they agreed to do a story for me, I said to them, do a children's story. Do a pirate story that a child could read. And they created this beautiful, dense, Brothers Grimm-style comic book. And the way I approached it in terms of lettering was very different to the way I approached lettering the drone on hip flask. So I, I like... What I've learned to enjoy in 20 years of working comics, I loved working on G.I. Joe. I loved working on Ghostbusters. I loved working on Steampunk. I loved working on Batman Hush with Jeff Loeb, um, Catwoman with Tim Sale. I, I have a very broad palette because I'm able to talk to and work with a very number of creators who have very particular tastes. Um, Tim Sale doesn't have the same taste as Ladrone. Ladrone doesn't have the same taste as Joe Maderera. I've also benefited greatly. I worked on all the key cliffhanger books, Battle Chasers, Danger Girl, Crimson, and um, Steampunk. Uh, I've worked on books like Red Star and Godland. I've, I've worked on a lot of books that, that did not exist when I was reading comics. And when you work on a book that never existed before, the world's your oyster. There are no rules. You work on the X-Men, you've got to do something that's a little bit Tom Ozakowski. You know, if, if I was to work sure. on Sandman now, I'd have to put my Todd Klein head on. <laughs> when I'm working on Battle Chasers, I make the rules. So the great thing about having my own title, everything's up for grabs. Absolutely. Because I'm writing it. I'm creating the characters. We did a strip with Tom Scioli, Mm-hmm. Uh, called the elephant and in, the elephant in the room in issue three. Yeah. Oh, and, sure. And I lettered it with, in a retro style. I didn't think that I was tied to my the style I used on the other strips. So I I can throw the rule book out the window and do things differently from the point of view of how I write the story, how I letter the story, how we design it, doing the flip book where you turn it upside down. And I think that's the most exciting thing about Elephant Man, and I think that's one of the things that people pick up on, is that I, I don't have a rule book. So Rob Steen, who drew Flanimals for Ricky Gervais, sure. uh, wanted to do a story about Wagner, and he did it like a Tom and Jerry cartoon. <laughs> and we put it in the back of issue eight, which has this shootout in which uh, there's two cold-blooded murders. <laughs> by Trench. 
so I, I think a comic book can be anything. You know, uh, issue two, we did a Howard Stern parody. Um, issue three, you know, we had an elephant man eating a curry <laughs> on, on a cover by Brian Bolland, and it was brilliant because it had a little aspect of um, Brian's Mr. Mamoulian strip. Had sure. that sort of kind of sad, sad uh -huh. character look. Um, then Chris Weston did this kick-ass cover of Ebony about to break the silence of legs. Um, very bloody cover. It was the kind of thing, you know, when I looked at comics when I was growing up, there was action, there was intrigue, there was interesting characters in bizarre situations. And if you've read my sort of rant in issue one about pop science fiction, I think that's lacking in comics today. Comics used to be sensational. You know, go and look at the cover of X Factor number one. It's the same cover that's on the trade paperback or the hardcover. Mm -hmm. the, the, the guys in X Factor are standing with their arms folded in an office. <laughs> yeah. What's exciting about that? <laughs> <laughs> True. Nothing. <laughs> what happens is you look through the Marvel solicitation catalogs in the last year. Count how many characters are standing with their arms on their hips or, or their arms folded. What happened to the, the city in the bottle covers? What happened to characters like Brainiac? What happened to um, Superboy fi fighting a shark man? What happened to um, Superman as a robot? Superman as a werewolf? Superman as a ghost walking up the stairs with his head under his arm? What happened to those great Spider-Man quips covers? Spider-Man versus the Sinister Six. Well, there's definitely there's definitely a certain homogenous feel to a lot of comics nowadays. That that there's this strict continuity or or they feel very sterile. Th well, they have to be a certain thing. And well, take take a look at the covers in the last two years. DC has become Wildstorm. Marvel has become Top Cow. And there was a cover recently on I think the Avengers. It was Scarlet Witch, and it looked like somebody painted over a pornographic drawing, a uh, pornographic photograph of a woman. It was not a comic book cover. It was somebody being artsy fartsy, and they found a a nice reference of a voluptuous woman and painted uh, the Scarlet Witch's costume uh -huh. over it. Give me the, the Knights of Wondergore any day, <laughs> because comics should be about the fantastic, not the mundane. And comics are becoming more and more mundane. A couple of years ago, police procedurals took over comics. What's up with that? <laughs> Who wants to read a police procedural in a comic book? I want to read about warthogs on the moon. I want to read about robots and monkey monkeys that speak with an English accent. You know, a lot of stuff Alan Moore went back to basics with in the ABC line. Sure. That kind of sense of the lost fantastic. I love crime stories, though. You're <laughs> killing me. Well, you know, you can watch CSI, you know, Poughkeepsie <laughs> on CBS any day of the week now. You know, police procedurals, if, if it's common on TV, why do we need it in a comic book, too? Hi, I'm Ed Brubaker. When I'm not waiting for the trade, I like to listen to a round comics podcast. Uh, what kind of comics are you reading? Other than obviously Elephant Man and and, uh, and I read uh, Jack Staff. Okay, by Paul sure. Grist. That's sure. a lot of fun. It's a lot of British references that a lot of American readers might not get. 
but I love his sense of experimentation in terms of storytelling. Mm -hmm. I love the, the, the bright colors, the bright characters. Uh, you know, he's got Tom Tom, the robot man. <laughs> he's got um, uh, a whole sort of very British feeling supergroup, and he has a little X Files group, and he's stuffing it with as many fantastic ideas and situations as he can. Um, I read Invincible, which I think is, it's sort of, what if Spider-Man was Superman's son? Yep. You know, <laughs> it goes out, it's cosmic, it goes out into space, it has uh, superhero battles, half-robot men, it's, it's stuffed with all that fantastic, mm -hmm. Fun. bizarre ideas, and it's got girls. <laughs> no, yeah. got cute girls, and it's a comic I can give to my eleven-year-old son. Yeah, sure. um, I read The Walking Dead, um, which I think not fantastic, but it's it's dealing with some horror in a very sort of realistic way. It reminds me of an old British TV series called The Survivors, which was not about zombies, but it was about a sort of post-disease-ridden world. I read Death Note from mm. Shonen Jump Advance, mm -hmm. sure. a series of manga graphic novels that my son started reading and I I decided to check up on it because it was rated teen and I got hooked um, I like to read Godland which is a book that I designed but I don't letter so when I come to read it I'm, I'm, I'm reading it fresh um, Albert Deshane uh, one of our comic craftsmen letters it um, but Joe Katie and I have some different ideas about lettering so I prefer not to sort of supervise the lettering I'll let Joe do that um, what else do I read? I pick up 2000 AD every week. I pick up Judge Dredd. Uh, more out of habit than actually to read it, but I see a lot of people that I've worked with over the years still working on that. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, I've, uh, I've read Judge Dredd and, and 2000 AD for off and on for a number of years. Um, and it almost, I hadn't read it for the last, I don't know, uh, few years, four or five years really, and, and I came back to it recently, and it seemed to me that, I mean, it was almost sort of, I don't want to say pastiche, but almost like it hadn't evolved any. Um, well, it, it's 30 years old, and you know what? You could say the same thing about Spider-Man. Yeah. Comic book characters don't age and shouldn't age, and I think one of the big problems with the superheroes is that people forget that they're designed for children. You know, that they really need to loop around every seven years and go back to basics. Superman and Batman are pensioners. They're 60, 70 years old. Sure. I don't know why anyone would want to write Superman or Batman. I'm sorry. I'm 34 years old, and I resent that comment. <laughs> you represent that comment. <laughs> why read something where you know what the parameters are? I, I understand. I mean, I'm a big fan of Doctor Who. Doctor Who's 40 years old. They've, um, they've relaunched the series. They've uh, rejuvenated it. Mm -hmm. um, but these days... No one creator. How ma how many creators have worked on Superman? Oh God! Thousand, two thousand, three thousand. How can you possibly be heard? Sure. Even something uh, attractive like Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly's uh, All Star Superman, which I've set aside. I haven't read yet, but it's, I love it's uh, brilliant. Grant and Vince working together. Yeah. I'd much rather they did something else like We Three. Oh, I'd it, much rather see Grant writing Sea Guy. 
than Wildcats. You'll have to get you'll have to get back with us because All Star Superman is the funnest Superman I've ever read. It, it might be fun, but the reason Grant's doing it, the reason Vince is doing it, is for the money. No question. <laughs> that, that's that's a problem. I think. I think it's a shame that Marvel and DC don't believe in throwing the money at the the new creativity. Mm-hmm. It's much more exciting to me to work on Red Star, Danger Girl, Wildfighters even, um, Godland, Battle Chasers, Steampunk, because there's no rules. You, you don't know what to expect sure. from month to month. Jack Staff, I don't know what to expect. Jack Staff was originally a pitch for Union Jack, mm-hmm. and Paul uh, didn't sell the story, so he decided to change all the names. Last time that was done, Watchmen. Watchmen was a pitch for the Charlton heroes. Watchmen is a high watermark in comics. Why is it a high watermark in comics? Because it was original, because you didn't know what to expect, because characters were fresh and new. They might have been archetypes, but you didn't know how they would behave. You didn't know that Rorschach would disappear in a puff of smoke. (laughs) Sure, we, we love The Walking Dead and Invincible because they're new, and we don't know if those characters are going to survive from issue to issue. Exactly, yeah. And I think that Kirkman presses the right buttons, that they, they, they're um, old characters, but that seem, that they're new characters that seem familiar, you know, and, and that's what I like about, I'd much rather read Astro City uh, than Kurt Busiek's Superman. And I, I love Kurt's work, but I wish his Superman story was a Samaritan story. Because then I wouldn't know that Superman was going to be alive in the last issue. Uh, if you've been uh, reading the Bat Matter and Elephant Men, you, you, you've probably been following the uh, little personal history of British comics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, that was something I wanted to, I wanted to talk about. I think we, we're kind of out of time now, but... Um, but I, I did want to talk about that sometime. You know how you would put all that other information uh, in the, in the 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 Elephant Men to even you know make it more of a pulp magazine almost, which I thought was fantastic. I I've really enjoyed reading all. Well, of I'll that. just quickly answer that. Um, I wanted to read the kind of comic book I used to like to read, which was you didn't stop reading when the comic strip was over. And these days, you stop reading. There's no letters page. There's mm-hmm. very little editorial contact. There's there's very little pinups. I really wanted to bring that kind of thing back, and I also wanted to bring all my areas of interest together into one magazine. And uh, use, putting the Father's Day interview in there was something I had online, and I thought, no, I'm going to put that into print. I don't care if it looks like it doesn't fit. <laughs> History of British Comics, I don't care if it doesn't look like it could fit. It fits for me because it's all my interest. Sure. Well, El- Elephant Man is one of the few comics that we kind of all agree that is worth the two ninety nine that we spend on it because of that. Every month. Thank you. And and it it is great to have that that extra content. One thing I did want to mention for aspiring letterers out there or people that are just interested in the craft of lettering, you have a website which is uh, balloontails.com, which has some fantastic tutorials and kind of explanations on how to letter comics. Tell, tell <laughs> us about the the genesis of balloon tails. Um, Balloon Tales started, um, Balloon Tales was my take on Graffiti Design's shirt tales. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I did a printed, uh, so many lettering artists at the time, pen letterers, were asking me what it was I was doing, how I was doing it. I did a two-sided newsletter, printed it on paper, and any time anyone called me, I mailed them that newsletter. Great. I, th I then did a second one, maybe a third, and JG, who works with me, says, well, let's just put it on a website so we don't have to use a stamp to mail the thing. <laughs> and um, that was pretty much John's, um, that's where he sort of plays ball. It's his website. He continues to add tips there. He calls himself Mr. Fantastic. And you can ask questions. Um, we get emailed questions all the time. We answer them on the website because... If we just email back the person that asks the question, only one person benefits. If somebody asks us a question online, everybody benefits. So we, we built that, I think, 10 years ago, and um, it's been going strong. And obviously, it's a great way for us also to promote uh, our fonts. Sure. And, and Generally, you know, there's no charge for asking us a question. Sure, and with me as a... As a like to ask me... Um, why you kept the caps lock on in the comic book round table under your around comics late <laughs> you need to redo that and you need to take the caps lock off right. go to balloon tails and search for caps lock and see what comes up <laughs> <laughs> now I'm a little frightened dang I just feel like I got bit slapped by my boss damn Wait, we said we've been designers we never said we were good <laughs> It's that it's so, the, it's a um, classic thing of you know it's a tool not everyone knows how to use it. Well, I, I guess we'll 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 wrap up here. Um, but you, I, I want to mm -hmm. add one thing to that. Okay, sure. Uh -huh. If anyone out there wants to be a lecturer, I say aim higher. You know, I wish that I'd started uh, working on my own material a lot sooner because the the great problem with being at the muddy end of the stick in the comic book production process <laughs> is a lack of appreciation. There are some people out there who will cut letters in on the royalties. They will give them good rates. But unfortunately, ultimately, it can feel like a thankless task. You so guys, anyone you guys out there that wants a letter, you're good enough to write. You're good enough to draw. And that's what I would encourage them to do. What? Because if you're 18 years old now, start going to an art class. You can letter your own comic strips. But I definitely encourage people to create their own characters because this comic book industry needs new ideas and new characters and not lots of people who want to work on old characters and old ideas. And I think letterers have just as many good ideas as the writers and artists working in the industry today. Letters are the offensive linemen of comics. It's you. You don't notice it until until it messes up. And he's British. Exactly, she doesn't yeah. know. It doesn't. Need, it's a job that needs to be done well. But unfortunately, companies are always looking for the younger, cheaper guy. And and that's that's my note of warning. You know, if you want to get on in any line of creativity, you can do so if you've got the passion to do it. But it is punishing. And luckily, I learned. You know, five years in the British industry taught me a lot of about what to expect in the American industry, and I wasn't surprised when um, the bottom line started to rule the day. That's why I started selling fonts, so that I had a safety net when uh, the companies I was working for thought I was getting too expensive and tugged the rug out from under me. So you've always got to uh, think of the future and, and think about what kind of creative investment you're making in yourself. People who want to let the comic books and use our fonts 
would be best advised to learn how to make farms while they're young, while they don't have children, when they don't have a mortgage and they don't have a company to manage. Do it while you're young and create something that you own that no one can take away from you, whether that's a line of fonts, a comic book title, a comic book character, whatever it is, uh, create something that you can own. You do realize that you just gave advice to thousands of people that may be competitors. Now. <laughs> thousands of people. It's my opinion, and they're entitled to it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, um, um, through... Your, your history of comics, starting out in the UK through through 2000 AD, and then coming here in Comicraft, and now Hip Flask and Elephant Men. What is next for Richard Starkings? Um, more of the same right now. I mean, I, I really want to keep going with Elephant Men um, uh, a long time. Uh, we're also doing a color miniseries uh, of Strange Embrace, Dave Hines seminal work from 10 years ago. We did a black and white trade paperback of it uh, through my imprint, Active Images. Now we've um, digitally remastered it. It's, re it's colored for the first time. We've relettered it, and we're putting out as a monthly image series, eight issues. We're then doing The Nightmarist, which was a graphic novel I published by Dan Duncan Rouleau last year. We're doing that as a seven-issue color series for image and quite possibly the Sleaze Brothers, which is uh, the epic book that I initiated at Marvel UK uh, nearly 20 years ago. Um, we're going to digitally remaster that and uh, hopefully publish that toward the end of next year. So we're doing more titles for Image, um, uh, a lot of material that's already extant, um, but we'll be continuing to do Elephant Men and um, putting out those hardcover collections. Hip Flask issue four should be available end of next year, I think. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, well, Richard, thank you so much for spending a majority of your of your Friday evening with us. It's been a pleasure, and uh, thank you so much. I'm a sad and lonely old man. You boys take care, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we'll try. We'll try. And you can email me that script anytime, just so I'm not sitting at home, just, you know, not knowing what will happen next with Hip and, and the Elephant Men. But Hip Flask is well worth the wait. And, uh, and, <laughs> it and, is. And thank you so much. You're very welcome. And thank you so much, Richard Starkings. Um, the... He's going to be guy. he's going to be back folks. Don't oh, worry. Oh yeah, I will definitely we're going to have to talk to him some more. He's got too much too much knowledge and history and interesting opinions in that noggin. So, we will definitely have him back if he will be kind enough to uh, to come back. But yeah, so it was great talking to me. He's just a fascinating guy. I, you know, I don't sometimes when we have people on and and um a guy like him that maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with. I, I sometimes questions whether question whether or not people will be interested in what someone like that has to say. But I can't get enough of like, you know, this is a guy that has seen so much about this industry and the books that we've all read and bought and collected. And you know, it's like he's seen so much of this stuff, and I I personally just can't get enough of someone. To, I, I could sit and talk to somebody like that all night, which. Well, you look you look at the the trends in comics over over the years, and and certainly uh, the the digital aspect of comics has changed the way 
that the industry makes the product, sure. whether it's whether it's um, digital coloring, coloring, you know, lettering, obviously. Just the laying out of pages, uh, you know, of a comic, and you know how that's changed. And lettering is a huge part of that, mm-hmm. and he was right at the forefront. And and I think he would probably admit that it was kind of like right place, right time. But he took the initiative and mm-hmm. saw an opportunity to say, you know, we, we need to do this right, and and comic craft. You know, whatever your opinion is on digital lettering, Comicraft does it right. Sure, absolutely. And and I think nowadays people don't look at it quite the same way as when they first started, uh, you know, where we, and what we had touched on was how people thought it was hurting the industry, but it was just, mm-hmm. it was going to change no matter what. There well, was nothing you, you to stop at, uh, it. You look at digital coloring, the first digitally colored books, they looked Horrible. Sure. They're awful. And a lot still do. But now you go back and you look at, at, <clears throat> at Golden and Silver Age books and you look at how they're colored and the trapping is off and whatnot. Right. And you look at it. Well, it, 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 it's kind part of, of the, the charm the, now, but. The charm uh, but yeah, I mean, there's so many advances that have been made in technology, and of course it's going to filter into any. Just about any profession, and of course, a printing—you know—a a business that's built on printing. There's been so many advances. You, you and I both know, being in the printing industry for the last—you know—two decades almost, um, we've seen it change, you know, firsthand. And it's not Comic Craft didn't, you know, invent change. They I mean, weren't they, the first font. Were, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, what I mean, they—they they weren't. You know, it was just a natural progress of, of what was going to happen. So. At least they do a quality job, and you can't blame someone for making a new paintbrush. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you can't you can't blame the first guy to ever create you know a, a, a paintbrush or create a new you know type of uh, a mechanical pencil. You know you can't you can't blame someone for creating a tool. It's mm-hmm. how someone uses it. An artist can still you know a, a talented artist will still be able to use a, a tool no matter what it is better than when rotring pens replace <clears throat> the. The pen and quill. I'm right. Sure yeah, you know what I mean. It, so. yeah, absolutely. So, but fascinating guy, and it was it was great to talk to him. Absolutely. Uh, would like to remind everyone that you can help us spread the around comics love. A few different ways you can do that. You can take us up on our listener LCS challenge. You can go to our homepage at aroundcomics.com and find out all about that. You can become our virtual friend at comicspace.com/aroundcomics. You can also do the same thing at myspace.com slash aroundcomics. You can uh, give us a nod at the iTunes Music Store. It can be as cool as Andy Parks and Mike Norton, Steve Bryant, and recently um, Nito03, Arutech, and Shane White. Thank you guys for uh, um, spreading some love at iTunes. We really do appreciate that. And don't forget to check out all the great things that AroundComics.com has to offer. It's your source for the best in comic book news, reviews, and opinions. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can find more great podcasts at ComicsPodcast.com. Just so everyone is aware, we will post the next week's topic on Tuesday at our forum at AroundComics.com. Next week, uh, Chris Marshall is coming down from Detroit Rock City. And we'll be talking with him about probably some trades and who knows what else. We don't have anything planned at this point, but we'll figure out something uh, Chris is one of our our favorite people. He uh, does the fantastic Collected Comics Library. So check out the forum Mm -hmm. and we'll have all sorts of fun stuff to uh, talk about Chris with. And thanks again. In Stock Trades. In Stock Trades has both of the critically acclaimed Hit Blast hardcover editions discounted 35%. You can now follow the Eisner Award winning adventures of Futuristic Detective, Hip Flask, and the Elephant Men for just 1947 per volume. 
Remember that InStockTrades.com is your source for trade paperbacks, deluxe hardcovers, essentials, showcases, archives, absolute editions, omnibus editions, and more. All at great discounted prices and all orders over $50 ship for free. And also, we are proud to help support the Hero Initiative. Hero creates a financial safety net for yesterday's creators who may need emergency aid, financial support for essentials of life, and an avenue back into paying work. It's a chance for all of us to give something back to the people who have given us so much enjoyment. For more information, visit www.heroinitiative.org or call 310-909-7809. And do something good. Yes. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. Richard Starkings, it was a pleasure. Sal, as always, yes. good time on a Friday evening here at Dark Tower. Uh, special thanks to uh, Mark for hosting us here at Dark Tower Comics and Collectibles. Uh, we'll have the full crew back again on Monday. Uh, Tom, well, hopefully, is is the fifteenth coming up? Are we almost I, there? It's the seventeenth, I think. This oh, for some two more days reason. of hell for Tom. Yeah, two more. I don't know why they changed it to the seventeenth. Because April. the fifteenth on a Sunday, maybe? Sunday. I don't know. I have no idea. I oh, have no poor, idea. poor Tom. Tom will pra- tell pra- us. Prayers he'll, for Tom. He'll fill us in on it. <laughs> we'll ask him. And in the meantime, we'll be everywhere in and around comics. like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, email us at info at aroundcomics.com or visit the contact us section of our website. Music for the show provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Views expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and do not reflect the opinions of Around Comics. Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next time, and the panel will change, but our mission will stay the same bringing you the very best news, reviews, and opinions in and around comics. Around Comics is a Pipe Dream production. Copyright 2007. All rights reserved. Oh, baby, what is going on? Let me, oh, let me, baby, love you one more time.